Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Combat Veteran Breakdown. I am your host, Paul, and today I wanted to take a look at something a little bit different. Ask ourselves a question, right, that's sort of on everyone's mind, honestly, uh, at least everyone that's been following the Ukraine-Russia conflict. For those of you that don't know, it appears in some ways that the conflict may have settled into a sort of stalemate. Um, it seems as though Russian forces are either too demoralized, too damaged, or too poorly supplied to continue to hold the territory they currently have. And they appear to be in the process of a strategic withdrawal. Uh, this is distinct from a retreat, right? Their forces are not being, they are sort of retreating. Uh, they're, this is not a route. Um, this is not a chaotic withdrawal. This appears to be a systematic yeah, withdrawal from uh, taking territory around Kiev and probably is going to be repositioning, um, my guess would be, in the eastern part of the country. Now, the question is, Right? Is this part of a uh, admission of defeat by Putin, or is it part of a larger strategy? And if so, what strategies could Russia use to snatch victory from what may be the jaws of defeat? Uh, I remain a skeptic that Russia is facing imminent defeat. Uh, I think we as... Uh, Westerners, right? We're uh, we're used to low casualty rates, not losing much equipment in conflicts, um, and doing our absolute best. So, losing sixteen thousand U.S. soldiers in the span of a month would be uh, catastrophic, to say the least. Uh, that's the equivalent of something like two uh, Iraq and Afghanistan's uh, in in the span of a few days, not two decades. So, yeah, we need to bear in mind Russia is willing to take men and material losses uh, at a scale much, much greater than Western militaries will generally accept. Uh, also, economically, it appears that the ruble has regained a lot of its value, appears to have stabilized, um, There's which can indicate uh, that Russia has taken some measures such as stopping capital flight out of the country. Uh, it may have also found partners or workarounds to get some of its uh, oil to market, meaning that their economy may be able to sustain some more fighting at least for a while longer. Uh, so all of this bodes not great uh, for Ukraine's forces. Um, and it indicates or points to Russia may have a continued ability to sustain the fight. So, but of course, sustaining the fight is a tall order. As we know, the Ukrainians are getting better and better. They're better equipped. And uh, the longer their military spends in combat um, and learns about the Russians, the better off they're going to be. They, uh, if even if they are taking equal casualties, um, they are being resupplied by Western powers, uh, whereas Russia doesn't appear to have it as, as robust a resupply mechanism. Ukrainians also have the advantage that they're fighting a defensive war, uh, meaning that the further they get pushed, um, the tighter they presumably get to some of their more secure rear area supply lines, meaning that 
they actually can become more effective in some ways as they're pushed further and further back, whereas Russia, the further it extends into the country, the more vulnerable it becomes. So the, the Russians certainly have their work cut out for them. Now, what would a victory condition look like for Russia? Well, I think we've established that Russia's primary objective is to uh, take Kiev and set up a puppet government. So let's assume, let's pin on the bulletin board. I don't think that is Russia's current objective. I think they probably are scaling back and attempting to create an independent state in eastern uh, Ukraine that has is semi-recognized. Um, is that, or a series of buffer states seem more likely. I think that is going to be their plan for a couple of reasons. First, uh, those buffer states are largely ethnically and linguistically Russian. They are less likely to resist occupying forces in the way that Ukrainians have actively resisted uh, occupying forces. Again, you see Russia has had to basically obliterate towns and cities uh, in order to hold them. Uh, literally, they just cannot have civilians in their backfield is what they seem to have concluded from this, not in any significant numbers. So that isn't necessarily the case in places like the DNR and LNR. Um, okay, so, right, you want to know what are the things that I think Russia can do to establish a new win condition, right, to uh, seize Kiev? Um, well, they have a couple of options. The first is to go big. Now, as you know, right now, Russia's uh, attacks have come in three different directions. And your when you attack a country in three different directions, uh, your violating a principle of maneuver, uh, sometimes called mass, right? And mass is the idea that you put enough troops in an area to get the job done. You've got enough, you, you have big enough fists to punch through uh, your enemy. If, when you start dividing your forces even once, you run the risk of having those fists be too small, right? Uh, this is sort of like the old joke about would you rather fight a horse, one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses. Um, this is the idea of you want to make sure that you have enough uh, mass that you're close enough to the horse, the horse-sized duck, right, that you can really scare some people. Um, or you just ensure that you have enough right your actual hundred uh horse oh my gosh your hundred tiny horses right uh either one of those has enough mass right the idea that there's a debate over which one you'd rather face is because mass their masses are roughly equal and so in either case by and fighting all of them at once you're going to like create a problem for yourself that analogy made no sense and i apologize um, but you understand what I'm talking about, about mass, right? It, the easiest fight would be 30 horse, 30 tiny uh, horses in like waves or split, you know, it, it, that's the point of mass. Anyway, the point is Russia has violated this principle. So to go big, what they would have to do is pick one front and attempt to win that front, right? You still use what they have in terms of combined arm strategy, and allocate it all to that one front in an effort to push 
harder into it. Uh, obviously, withdrawing from the DNR LNR is hard. They have spent years, almost a decade, establishing a military infrastructure there, command infrastructure, uh, a civil infrastructure. So it, they're not going to try to abandon their eastern areas in an effort to uh, push on Kiev. Uh, though I actually think that was probably a better effort, a better idea, um, since they are relatively close to Kiev. Though Kiev is, is very, very heavily defended uh, on approaches from the north. So, given that, then their only options are east and through Crimea. Crimea has its own set of problems. It's very narrow, it's small, and it's difficult to get troops through that tiny, narrow spot, right? And so, if you want to do any sort of major maneuver, you basically have one choice, and that is the east. And so, if Russia wants to go big, right, big is going to look like reinforcing their offense in the east and creating, uh, using their combined arms effects to instead of achieve a sort of blitzing win, instead to just raise the cost of warfare for the Ukrainians, do small scale but properly supported operations. So you'll have tanks supported by aircraft, and instead of pushing 40 miles to a major urban area, they will push a much smaller difference. They'll, they'll capture a town three or four miles from the front line. And this sort of fighting may be a have, may be more likely to be successful for them since they can take more time to deliberately plan. They will be able to pre-stage supplies. They can actually do the coordination necessary before the offensive. Right. The problem with with fast op tempos is that your planning cycle shrinks. And so complicated operations done at a fast tempo, i.e. eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours in advance, requires a phenomenal level of high-tech coordination among all of your forces. It's the absolute bane of officers' existence, uh, I can tell you for sure, is these big brigade-level rehearsals with your air assets and logistics, and it's just an absolute nightmare. But these things are necessary, essential to an understanding and to so that everyone has what's called the common operating picture, right? That everyone's looking at the same situation and sees the same operation unfolding. And only if you establish that among all your forces can you have a shot at doing rapid combined arms warfare. Russia obviously just hasn't put in the time and effort in its uh, command and control cells to do this sort of advanced level of warfare at this speed. But if you scale it down and if you say, listen, we're going to have a big, huge push, but we're going to seize one town, it's going to be supported by air and you know, ground forces and mechanized forces and maybe even seaborne forces. And it's going to follow a simple timetable and it's going to be over in 72 hours. That's something their command may be able to do. And if it requires additional patience, if it requires three years for them to reach the outskirts of Kiev, they'll just do it. Right. So that I think is their probably one of their better options is to go big right all their forces push hard one front and grind the on the ukrainians heavily their other option 
and I sort of alluded to it already, is to go long. That is to also acknowledge that this is going to be a long war. And that, again, doesn't appear to be what they're doing. I think it's another viable option would be to simply say, we are going to occupy this territory and we are going to crawl 100 yards at a time, 1,000 yards at a time, a mile at a time towards our objectives. That would be something like digging in, holding territory, and saying, we're going to wait until we've built our supply networks, our supply depots. We're going to preposition necessary materials. We're going to have bases right outside Belarus. We're going to we're going to lay down railroads, right? We're going to fix the roads so that we can get supplies into these areas. And then we're going to build them up and we are going to go long, right? We are going to take all the time we need to grind on Ukraine's economy, get the population ready, uh, clamoring for a peace deal, right? We are going to unleash constant cyber attacks on their banking system. We're just going to make the life in that country miserable for so long that eventually people say we should just give them some sort of concession. Um, once the Ukrainians get fed up with the war, the hope would be that that would either weaken the military, um, bring them to the concession table, or potentially even just have a regular free election that Russia can influence. Uh, I personally think going long, digging in, grinding it out may not be the winning strategy for them. Like I said, we've seen this in the East. They've It's been eight years. The Ukrainian military has professionalized considerably, but still hasn't been able to go on offense and take back the contested regions, even though apparently on the defense, they are uh, able to check Russian forces very, very well. So it's sort of shocking to see this, uh, to see that an army that focuses on defensive capacity capabilities um, is so st was still unable for for eight plus years to take back some of their own contested land. And I'll be immensely curious if they are able to take it back in a peace deal, um, <clears throat> or if they simply say. Uh, that this this can go join Russia if they so choose. It's, yeah, it's a fascinating situation. Of course, the last option, and again, I think this may actually be their best option, but Putin may not be able to take it, is to go home, right? You can go home. You can come up with a timetable for withdrawal. You can claim some sort of victory, um, try to spin it as a win, uh, maybe retain the independence of, the, again, the DNR, LNR, and begin your withdrawal, sign a treaty, and move back, and do what Russia, unfortunately, is the best at. And what they're it's just so very, very good at is irregular operations. That's their forte, right? I mean, the, it, there is no doubt, right, regardless of your pers political persuasion, the FBI came out and said it, uh, Russia had tremendous influence on the U.S. election in 2016. Uh, they were effective, and there's a lot of evidence that they've been effective at infiltrating uh, major political parties in the United States and Europe, that they are able to not just foment strong opposition, but they're actually able to pick up wins in elections. It may make people uh, uncomfortable to realize this, but the reality is the Russians are experts at 
information warfare. As bad as they apparently are at mechanized warfare uh, and combined arms, they're that good at information. And this is probably a function of the early Soviet days when the Soviet Union believed it had a mandate to spread communism across the globe. And so they just were experts at infiltrating newspapers, uh, getting intellectuals in all sorts of different countries um, in an effort to spread communist ideology around the globe, right? Some of it's uh, old school 1950s McCarthyism fear-mongering, but every good conspiracy theory starts with a grain of truth. And the grain of truth is there really were Russian agents trying to spread communism everywhere. <clears throat> so what? why would Russia abandon its best tool, right, in favor of a far worse tool? And it's tough to say why that is. I think it was a mistake to try to do things in this way. And I think they were would have been far better off just just trying to humiliate Eurocentric uh, Ukrainian politicians, try to get them in embarrassing situations, um, fund uh, elections against their competitors, and try to install just unacceptably um, pro-Russian or right-wing parties that would enable Ukraine to uh, you know, either <clears throat> consider just acquiescing on the fight against the separatists or potentially even achieving, functionally, Russia could achieve a silent coup by having authoritative uh, authoritarian forces or an authoritarian party win an election and then simply say uh, no more free elections, right? Change the rules so that elections are no longer really free um, or just proclaim elections finished. Um you know, you could also, they could also try to follow the U.S. route and try to install a military dictatorship. There's lots of options that are far more cost effective than engaging in this all-out warfare. And again, a really much better option would have been to prevent or to try to weaken Ukraine's military prior to this by, again, having anti-war, anti-military politicians donating to them, raising their profile, and then using their wins to actually reduce Ukraine's military readiness and then strike when the, U when the military of Ukraine is at its weakest. Again, this, uh, this is probably Russia's competitive advantage in the international sphere. Um, the, there's not really another great option uh, out there for them they have to either go big and pick one front and put all their forces there and fight on it until the ukraine's break uh they have to go long dig in build out supplies accept that they're going to gain zero feet of territory for the next maybe even six months or more right um but then when you restart the war win one yard of dirt at a time or go home go home and try to affect change in this government using the tools that your country is the best at in the world, right? Imagine what you could do in a country like Ukraine if you were offering politicians $10 million bribes, right? I mean, it's no secret in the United States, you can see what sort of campaign contributions our elected officials get, and you're able to get them to say and do just about anything for what amounts to less than the revenue of a Burger King. 
Um, that's true. Burger King's a typical Burger King store uh, makes about $2 million a year in revenue, uh, gross. And wouldn't you know it, um, you know, a few million dollars a year is enough to keep Joe Manchin in the pocket of big coal. So it's comparatively cheap, uh, to own a country, right. To buy these politicians, because obviously if you have an ideological politician, they're easy to beat with enough money. Then you just replace them with someone who's pretty dumb and willing to, uh, be your little, uh, little worm in the uh you know your elected official's house uh for just the low price of a few hundred thousand dollars or a few million so imagine if russia was able to spend far less on its massive army of tanks and apcs uh and shrink its conscript army to a small professional force uh maybe even reduce its nuclear commitments uh down to something more manageable and focus on it the, the areas where its expertise is greatest and that is probably things like special operations forces and intelligence and cyber capabilities right and infiltration intrigue and political uh affecting political change through irregular channels Anyway, guys, that's what I would do if I was old Vladimir Putin and I had to come up with a W. But you can see, if you couldn't pick it up from this, these are all stretches. These are all hard plans that have really tough downsides, right? We talked about the going big is going to take a long time and it won't be a secret, right? Going long is going to be tough because Ukrainians sit in your backfield for a long time, sabotaging you and derailing your plans sometimes derailing your trains uh and going long is going to be hard or going home is even going to be hard because ukrainians are inert right they're going to be less tolerant of russian influence because obviously they all absolutely hate russians now uh, especially with some of the allegations that have been coming out recently about russians treatment of civilians it's horrible stuff um, and your, your, your heart goes out to these civilians in these uh, occupied areas, right? So anyway, guys, that's all I got for today. First off, I wanted to thank, by the way, the uh, 14 people that left me five-star reviews on Spotify. Dude, you guys are the real chads, man. That's a, that's a, that, is, that is the real alpha male move, right? Don't listen to those podcasters. Um, also going to thank the people on Patreon, right? Patreon gets some access to exclusive content. Patreon.com slash Combat Vet Paul. You definitely want to check it out. Become a member. Link is in the description. Um, and what else? I think that's it. Until next time, I'll catch you guys later.